Most Awakened Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right, folks, good to see all of you. Bill Real here, Almost Awaken podcast. Um, I started this podcast a few years ago with uh, a friend, Michaela was the original co-host of the show. And uh, we started this podcast because so many folks were deconstructing their religious narrative. And we wanted folks to have a place where as you're deconstructing, you could be prompted with sort of the topics that the rest of the world is talking about, right? Like when you grow up in a high demand fundamentalist religion, you are often insulated from the the larger world that's going on. And there are so many things that happen in a high-demand fundamentalist religion in terms of uh, things that uh, curb your sexuality, curb the uh, substances that you might try or or take. Uh, It it sort of sabotages uh, things that might provide real growth and are substituted by a program that, you know, has you checking boxes, for instance. And when we did this podcast years ago, it was, it was the idea was to help all of you who are, are in the midst of deconstructing or feel like you've stepped away from, from a, a religion and you don't know what to fill your life with. By the way, I got a new shirt. Trouble with this new shirt is if I button it one more, it's super tall up high. I don't like that. But if I leave it, the button is quite a bit lower, and so it opens up too far. So I'm not really trying to show my chest or anything, but I just didn't want the thing buttoned all the way to the top. So folks, please excuse the shirt, but I really like it. Um, We wanted to give people the tools to to start wrestling with things in science, psychology. Um, We wanted people to start looking in the mirror and working on themselves in a way that their religious paradigm sort of prevented them from doing. Just using Mormonism as an example, Mormonism would substitute real development and growth. Like I'm becoming a better human being. I'm doing shadow work. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, being accountable to the unhealthy mechanisms that I have that I use to control the world and the people around me. And I'm going to confront that and begin making real uh, substantial changes. And in a religious system like Mormonism, you, to be a good Mormon, you simply have to check the boxes. Just show up at the right place, dress the right way, don't take the wrong substances, and uh, you know. And and there's lots of other things that go along with it. The reason I stammered there was because I wanted to add in a bunch of negative things of like narking out your your brother or um, signaling you know to others that you're outwardly living the commandments, but inwardly you everything's a mess. And, and so uh, religion, having you sort of check those boxes really never asked you to grow up. It, it sort of liked you staying at kind of a teenager age mentally. And it really wanted to be your parent figure and it wanted to have control over you the rest of your life. And so the Almost Awakened podcast was about giving people 
uh, tools and resources to be able to confront the world around them and themselves and begin dealing with reality as it as it really has been. I had imagined when I started this off years ago now, three, four years ago, I had imagined when I started this off that uh, what I would find um, would be that the Mormon audience would be the initial way that this podcast would start, but that this podcast would grow. I thought if we were having interesting conversations, that it would it would grow into uh, something that uh, the general non-Mormon uh, listener might be attracted to. And I think we've had so many good conversations. I'm just thinking of Britt Hartley and the hero's journey and the episode on dangerous ideas as a just a couple to name. But I think we've had so many fascinating conversations. But the growth has not really been there. The folks who do listen, and again, we get about uh, five to 700 folks on YouTube who watch. Uh, the show there. And then we've got another four or 5,000 people who listen to the podcast audio on Apple podcast or uh, Google play or some other uh, third party app. So it's not like it's just this tiny little audience, but it is relatively small and it hasn't really grown. And I'd be curious folks, if anyone's listening, if you've got thoughts on why that is and Part of it is I think we talk about so many different subjects that we're mildly informed about a lot of things and we are experts in nothing. And because we cover so many different topics, this podcast doesn't have a specific uh, genre or subject matter that it goes into. But I know that lots of you have written and made comments in, during the shows and, and in the comments on YouTube afterward that the the conversations that we have here have been really helpful to you. And we've tried to talk about things like IFS therapy or attachment styles or different modalities. The episode on consent, for instance, I thought was really good. And, and so we're really trying to give you folks the, the things that are interesting to you. Uh, in terms of the Almost Awakened podcast, I, I do plan on it continuing. Uh, I've had to sort of rein back what my expectations were. And it's so easy in this Mormon space for me to talk about Mormonism and the things that are unhealthy there. And that just seems to gravitate so many more listeners. Uh, but my hope was that this would grow more. And, and I'm, I'm a little disappointed in that. And, and But hopefully those of you who get value from this, if you'll leave a comment, in fact, like the video here, uh, subscribe to the channel, please. Um, but leave a comment here or on YouTube about what it is you like about the show, and please, some critical feedback, what you don't like about the show. Uh, the big piece of news, and actually we'll probably slight, sort of delay that news coming to you, but uh, the big news is that uh, Britt Hartley's uh, relationship with this show is going to change in the next few weeks, and I'll wait uh, another week or so to have her on. She's uh, got some episodes here planned that uh, we'll have a conversation here on the show with you. But one of the big pieces of news that is coming out of what's going on is that we're going to shift over to uh, having some conversations uh, with folks who I deeply believe uh, have stepped out of the binary dualistic world of black and white thinking, have deconstructed the myths in their world and are on what Richard Rohr calls the second half of life. 
And I've reached out to about 100 folks who I trust to be on that journey of, of self-discovery and of doing the inner work and of recognizing that much of what this world offers is fictional myths that aren't that aren't true and and they realize that much of the world and the systems in it are here to control and uh, manipulate so that those particular systems and people in authority can perpetuate those systems and that authority and uh, so what i did was i reached out to these folks i came up with about 80 really deep questions really deep uh in fact i could pull up the the document and uh, read a few of these to you i really enjoy these i think these are going to be really great conversations and so let me give you uh let me give you a few of them i got to make this a little bigger uh can you share a pivotal moment or experience in your life that significantly influenced your current perspective on spirituality or personal developments um Personal, sorry, personal development. Let me ask a couple others here. Have you ever witnessed an event or phenomenon that left you questioning the boundaries of reality? Could you describe what happened? Um, can you share practical advice for individuals who are navigating the complexities of intimacy, desire, and boundaries in their personal relationships? Uh, what insights or practices have you gained from studying and integrating the wisdom of sex positive, inclusive, and inclusive perspectives on human sexuality? Uh, what strategies do you find most effective in conflict resolution, especially when emotions run high and perspectives differ greatly? And so there's about 80 of these questions, and they're really meant to dig into that real, honest, vulnerable level of what it means to be a human being. And uh, I'm sending the this list of questions on to every one of these folks who agrees to be interviewed and have them pick 10 questions that they would like to speak at length about. And then we'll sit here for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. I suspect that these conversations will go probably in the hour and a half to two hour range. But to ask them these questions and to let them tell us how their inner and outer world work and what they've learned through their life experience. And uh, we'll just, we'll see what kind of conversations these create. But I think what's going to end up happening is it's going to be one after the other of human beings on a, on a path of development in a perhaps a deeper stage of, of cognitive development sharing with you, the audience, the things that have been useful to them, how their perspectives have changed and what cool experiences they've had. Because I know that for now, for a few years, we've just tackled a ton of topics and, and there'll be more. We're going to obviously have plenty of episodes that delve into a particular topic. By the way, for those of you who are new, if you've been tuning in over the last few days and you've been listening to Radio Free Mormon and Radio Free Mormon is amazing. This is all part of a large umbrella of podcasts. So the entity is called Mormon Discussion Incorporated. It is a company um, that's a nonprofit that I started myself 10 years ago. And over the last 10 years, we have brought other dynamic podcast hosts under our umbrella. And we offer a spectrum of podcasts that are designed to uh, help you be informed 
help you uh, use your critical thinking skills, help you be aware of multiple perspectives, and have the tools necessary to you know, deconstruct the narratives around you if you want, give you the tools and resources to uh, feel supported and be able to move into a, a much more healthier, uh, content life, and to provide support for those of you who, in the midst of deconstructing an unhealthy faith system, found yourselves alone and found yourselves uh, stressed over what it cost to deconstruct your faith system and what all goes with that, such as damage or risk to relationships, uh, having to reconstruct your identity from scratch, and a ton of other things. But um, I hope you're enjoying all of this. And uh, I, I would just say, if you tuned into this, expecting to see more of Radio Free Mormon, he'll be on in the next day or two or three. We do a live show on Wednesday night with me and Radio Free Mormon uh, as the host, uh, Mormonism Live. But this is the Almost Awakened podcast. And this particular show probably has less to do with Mormonism than any of the shows that we do. Uh, it's our it's my experience. It's my life journey. So it does get brought up from time to time. But this particular show really deals with post-religious life. So you can look forward to those interviews that are uh, on the way and coming. We'll start recording the first one on Friday. This show airs every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. The live show I told you about is Wednesdays, 6.20 p.m. Mountain Time uh, on here on our YouTube channel. So please like and subscribe. We deeply appreciate folks uh, who watch this, who tune in. I want to talk about a few other things, um, things I saw in the news, just interesting stuff. So one of these, if you've never heard of this, it's the Mandela effect. And I'm one of these folks that I, I don't get too hyped up on conspiracy theories, but I find them enjoyable to, to delve into. So I've spent time watching multiple documentaries on the JFK assassination, for instance whether we landed on the moon, things on Bigfoot, whether aliens are real, which in 2023, believe it or not, the U.S. government seems to be telling us that aliens are, in fact, real. Um, we'll see where that goes. But I've always been interested. You know, Flat Earth, I've, even though I think that is absurd, I've sat and watched a couple of documentaries on it to try to understand their side. And And what strikes me is that when you look into the absurd ideas that are out there and you recognize that there is a, a minority for sure, but a statistically significant number of people who believe these crazy things. And, and one, I think, is that the, they sort of limit the kinds of information that come into their purview. For instance, whether it's in the religion that we came from, there's a group of folks who deny that Joseph Smith, Mormonism's founder, practice polygamy in spite of the hard data. And I'm always bewildered at how people think through and then on the other side continue to believe an absurd belief. And, um, you know, there's various degrees of evidence for these sorts of things, but the fact is that people can pretty easily be convinced into believing something that isn't true. Our brains, our, our, our brains are trained to find things that allow us to continue having the meaning that we had yesterday, continue having the 
comfort level that we had yesterday. And to change our mind on things, if, if that belief being changed is too disruptive, uh, our brains will do everything they can to keep us believing the comfortable, safe, secure idea rather than to change our minds. And the Mandela effect is this interesting uh, idea that a large number of us human beings remember things about the way the world was, but that that isn't true. And uh, I'll give you some examples here. I want to, I got to pull up the the articles that I had uh, listed here, if I can find them, uh, the Mandela effect. So let me share a few of these. Um, if I were to ask, does Mr. Monopoly wear a monocle? Is there a black stripe on Pikachu's tail? Do the fruit in the Fruit of a Loom logo, do they pour out of a cornucopia? Now, these, this is from an article on CNN, but that's what they start off with. And the answer is no to all of those. But in our consciousness, not just my consciousness or your consciousness, but in our collective consciousness, uh, all of us collectively, there is a large number of us who distinctly remember uh, the world being a certain way. So, for instance, um, C-3PO being an entirely golden color isn't true. If you go back and watch Star Wars, one of his legs is just silver. Many of us remember the famous peanut butter brand, Jiffy, even though it's actually just Jiff. The one that really stuck sticks out to me, and it's one that's always used as an example, is the Berenstein Bears. I had those books as a kid. I read them. I borrowed them from the library. I distinctly remember Berenstein being spelled with all uh, E's. Um, and instead, the actual Berenstein is spelled at the end with an S-T-A-I-N. But so many of us remember uh, it being spelled uh, with only E's. And then certain things like uh, Star Wars, the famous line, Luke, I am your father. And that actually isn't the line from the movie. The line is, no, I am your father. Um, if you build it, they will come from Field of Dreams. It's actually, if you build it, he will come. And then many folks remember the uh, Snow White Disney movie as saying when, when the uh, Wicked Witch, the Wicked Queen looked into the mirror, she said, mirror, mirror on the wall. And actually what is said is magic mirror on the wall. So the data that came out recently, they were studying um, the Mandela effect. And it's it's absolutely recognized. I mean, this is a phenomenon that, uh, is always continually happening amongst the collective consciousness of our society. But the scientists can't figure out why it happens. They can't figure out why a large number of people all have the same false memory. And they've done a lot of research into this, and they don't know. And I just, I thought that was interesting, because I'm, I'm checking sort of these things out, um, 
in like the news and the things going on and uh, just certain kinds of things kind of catch my eye. Uh, but the fact that we collectively have the same false memory, but it's false. It's not true. I think that's deeply interesting. I wanted to talk about a couple other things here in regards to trauma. And uh, by the way, Mandela effects a fun one. If you ever have like friends or something over, there's several YouTube videos that go through them and each generation has a set of things that they remember a certain way that, that you're wrong on. It didn't happen that way. And, and some people will argue the crazy thought, by the way, talking about conspiracy theories and flat earths and did we land on the moon, JFK assassination. The reason I said that was because the argument behind the Mandela effect for some is that reality actually is changing. That say somebody is able to do time travel, which I don't believe in, but let's say somebody's able to do time travel. They could go back in time and change something and suddenly big things over the course of hundreds of years would shift and move. And the argument from some folks who take the Mandela effect as pointing to something really happening is that there, uh, there's a, a group of folks who believe in the Mandela effect who argue that Berenstein Bears actually used to be spelled with all E's that something glitches in the matrix, for instance, or somebody changes something in reality in real time. And then suddenly something that used to be a certain way is like that different. And it's why we all remember the thing differently is because it actually used to be different, but somewhere along the way it changed instantaneously, essentially. One of the big ones, the reason it's called the Mandela effect is because Nelson Mandela, a large chunk of our society believed they remembered his death, his funeral, uh, memorial, things on the news long before he died. In fact, I don't even know if he's still alive. I think he's dead now. But there was a cultural collective consciousness memory of him dying before he died. And large numbers of people remembered the funeral on television, remembered the uh, things that were going on around that that death of that famous man who uh, was so, so much on the news then, I think in the 80s. Um, but that's how it got its name, the Mandela Effect. And it's it's really kind of a fascinating thing to go into. But I, I, don't, I don't buy that. I think something is said a certain way in our culture elsewhere and it sort of sticks and then we hence remember uh, things differently than they happened. And so there's that. Um, let me jump into for a second a couple things on trauma. Um, Cleveland Browns played last night. I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. I know you should feel sorry for me, especially after last night. Um, but every year I get excited for football. I think this is going to be the year and I'm really passionate about my team. I have been since the mid-1980s when I was like a seven-year-old kid watching my dad scream at the television set when the Cleveland Browns went to the AFC Championship three out of four years and lost in all three of those to the Denver Broncos and John Elway. And there's something about being a sports fan. Like take the NFL, for instance. There's, I think, 32 teams. And only one of those teams is going to win the Super Bowl. And the other... 30 teams are going to have some degree of disappointment. And for half of those teams, they're going to have significant disappointment. 
their team is going to lose more often than it wins. And yet the loyalty of sports fans to come back every year and watch their team in spite of it not playing well or losing. For instance, the Cleveland Browns have had about two decades. The the team uh, was relocated in 1995, I think. And then the NFL gave the Browns back a team, allowed it to still keep it connected to its old history in 1999. And then from 1999 to today, the Cleveland Browns have been in two playoff games since 1999, 24 years, two playoff games. It's absurd. And yet fans turn in, tune in every week, loyal. And I was thinking about like, when it comes to sports, there's a certain degree of subjecting ourselves to trauma that we human beings enjoy. Don't believe me? How many of you watched Game of Thrones? How many of you watched Ozark? How many of you watched 24 with Jack Bauer? You realize that you, most of you, choose to, on some level, bring things into your life that are going to gross you out, that are going to uh, cause you to sit with the harm and hurt and trauma that's in the world. And I don't know why we do this. Why are we gluttons for punishment per se? Why do we associate with activities that feel, ugh, you know, like, ah, that's, mm, that's going to hurt a little bit. And so last night I'm watching my Cleveland Browns. We won week one against the Cincinnati Bengals and we drummed them 24 to three, something like that. And our defense was just near perfect. And the offense was mediocre. Uh, One of the best running backs in the NFL currently, at least as of last night. And uh, really, if you were to weigh his first five seasons against all the great running backs, he would be right up there in the top running backs in NFL history. Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is running the ball last night in the Pittsburgh Steeler player. And I hate the Steelers. That's our arch nemesis. That's the rivalry that we've had all the way back to when Pittsburgh and Cleveland played in the 1940s and 50s, I believe. 60s for sure. And uh, Nick Chubb, uh, the, the defensive player, defensive back, I think it was, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, tackled Nick Chubb from the side and literally exploded his knee. I mean, his knee, it looked like one of these MMA fights where the leg just broke. But it, the, the Nick Chubb's knee, the bottom half of his leg was essentially not connected to the top half of his leg at the knee joint. And uh, his season's over and probably his career is over. And he, He's played five seasons, and every one of those seasons, he's averaged five yards a run or more. That's unheard of. The only other player to go the first five seasons averaging five yards a run or more, another Cleveland Brown, great Hall of Famer Jim Brown, who passed away uh, in the last year, I believe. But Nick Chubb had his knee exploded. And I'm watching the game, and I'm a huge Cleveland Browns fan. And as soon as I see my star player have his season and probably career ended, 
I could feel it. I could feel this heavy, heavy, traumatic sensation that I just have to sit with how awful this is. Um, the Walking Dead, there was a episode halfway through the series where uh, Negan takes a baseball bat and crushes the heads in of Abraham and Glenn. And that episode, uh, that episode was the craziest episode I've ever seen of a TV show in my life. And I was so traumatized by that. I, I, I always wanted to go back and watch it for how good the episode was. And I've never been able to bring myself to go back and watch it because I, I knew how much trauma I seemed to take on watching this fictional movie, fictional TV show that I could just never go back and endure that again. And, uh, and so um, I don't know why we human beings do it, but we do take on trauma. And one of the things of being almost awakened is in the last five years, I've really gotten sort of a stronger sense of the hurt and harm that others incur and endure. And uh, I'll share a little uh, example. My son and daughter-in-law have a dog. His name's Melbourne. And uh, about a month or so ago, they took him into a pet uh, store, also pet grooming place, and they took him in to have his nails cut. And uh, when I went to pick him up, and I think it's PetSmart, but when I went to pick him up, they said that he bit one of the folks. and. Uh, that from now on he would have to have a uh, a muzzle on his face before they would cut his nails. We brought him home, so be it. Um, I didn't notice anything off, but yesterday we babysat the dog, and he was just scared of me, more scared of me than normal. Um, he, he they took him in as a uh, a pet that was given away from his previous owners. And whatever happened in that previous situation, he almost certainly felt, what's the right framing? Because I don't know that he was abused, but he uh, he behaves as if he was abused. So he, he shows that something traumatized him and he sort of is finicky around men and he's sort of finicky around noises and things, but not over, no, not overly so much, but to a degree, you notice it. Well, when I babysat the dog, my dog sat the dog, um, I was letting him in the house and I just noticed like he's acting way more scared of me. I don't know what's going on. And we, uh, I got talking to my wife, my wife came home and I was telling her about it. And she said, didn't you hear them say that he's not been acting right since he got his nails cut? And, uh, it suddenly it struck me like I picked him up that day from the nail people. I'm the one that got told the story about them needing to muzzle him. He, he wasn't, he didn't need to be muzzled because he just acted out and bit the girl. Whoever cut his nails, cut his nails way too close and it hurt him. And so he incurred some sort of trauma that has affected his behavior from that moment forward. And so I told my kids last night, we went over to their house to watch the Browns game and uh, my birthday was this week. And so I'm 45 years old and uh, we took over cake and ice cream and did all that. And so I was telling my kids, I said, guys, I'm just now putting this together from what mom told me 
from what I observed when I was there, when I picked up the dog and what I've observed with the dog since then, your dog didn't bite somebody because he misbehaved in that moment because he was scared of getting his nails cut and they wasn't any big deal. Whoever cut his nails cut them too short and hurt him. And that we ought to go, and this was just last night, so we're, we're yet to do this, but we ought to go back to where you got the nails cut and we need to do two things. One, it would be great if this place is responsible enough to ask us to go get our dog checked out and to cover that. And I would hope that happens, although I have my doubts that that will happen. But more importantly, because I don't think the company will do anything about it, more importantly is I would want this company to realize that whatever they were doing to train this person, whether it's the company-wide training at this location, or whether it was this person not taking what they were told to do and do it appropriately, I would want no other animals to get hurt. And so I'm telling my kids last night, I said, like, don't take him to get his nails cut ever again. Whatever that was, it was a traumatic experience. And if you take him back, even if they do it right this time, it's, it's, he's not going to handle it well. So don't go get his nails cut again. Let's get him taken to a vet. Let's find out what's going on and let's stop in at this, uh, this uh, pet shop and let's ensure that they're notified about what happened and let's um, give them the chance to correct it, hopefully with uh, my son and, and my daughter-in-law's dog, but to correct it going forward with other animals. And it strikes me when you sense the trauma that other people or living things feel, you start to recognize that quirky behaviors uh, behaviors you don't see every day are often associated to something that happened to us earlier in life. And you can start to sense what is traumatic and what isn't. And the reason I say this, at least on this podcast, is because for those of us who were in high demand fundamentalist religions, once you understand what trauma is and what it feels like, you can begin to see much more prevalently how it is imposed on others within systems within groups of people. And you can see the harm that is being done. And uh, again, whether it's, a, whether it's a dog or whether it's a person, we are all incurring trauma over the course of our life. And uh, it is, it's, it's a big deal that we all do our best to reduce, diminish the amount of trauma that's being imposed in the world. And, uh, and at least I think it's important. And that we all get better at recognizing what causes trauma uh, so that we can, can do something about it. And uh, that leads me to one last little thing that I wanted to share, which is another article. And this was about uh, what daughters uh, who have been abandoned by their fathers, what uh, eight traits they end up with. And then we'll, we'll end the episode. Nothing super exciting here today, folks. I hope you enjoy at least some of this conversation. The next thing you'll probably see is either me and Britt Hartley going into the uh, dynamics of how to be a cult leader that's on Netflix right now. So if you want to watch that, you can join us for the conversation. Each episode takes a different cult leader and, and other cult leaders too in that episode, but a main cult leader and tells you what skills or gifts they had that kept their group together and carried out whatever unhealthiness it did. 
And so if you want to watch how to be a cult leader, I think is the name of, of the Netflix special. And uh, you'll be prepared when Britt and I have this conversation in front of you here in a, in a few days, maybe another week or two at tops. Um, but this is on psychology today. This is eight shared traits of daughters abandoned by their fathers. Again, if you have kids and I was sort of emotionally unavailable to my children, I sort of had my own problems going on inside of me that I wasn't really capable of showing up the way they all deserved. And I can only imagine if I had abandoned my family, if I had just walked away, what added stress points and triggers and traumas that would have contributed to who they are. And when we look at folks, females, who are abandoned by their fathers, these are the eight traits that show up. Number one, decreased self-esteem or sense of self. Number two, hypervigilance. Number three, earlier and or increased sexual behavior. Number four, fears of abandonment, of fears of, of abandonment. Of course that, right? Number five, trouble being assertive. Like you realize that if you state what you need your world to be, the people that love you might leave. So you're better off not pushing too hard on what you need the world to be. Don't ask for compromise. Don't ask for give and take because some people will just walk away and, and we can't have that, right? Number six, disordered or addictive behaviors. Number seven, fears of losing everything. Number eight, ongoing attempts to solve or work through their trauma. And I just want to note again, we, Half this time today, we spent talking about trauma of one sort or another. Trauma is real. And often folks who defend these systems belittle that or deflect or diminish the weight that trauma has on all of us. And um, I would just say that every one of us have had really horrible things happen to us. And some worse than others, of course. But every one of us came into this world really innocent, really sort of thinking the world was going to be safe and thinking that we could just show up and things would be all right. And at one point or another, and for some of us really early, we are confronted with the fact that no, this world isn't safe. This world isn't full of good people trying to help each other. This world isn't full of people who have their shit figured out or understand their own unhealthiness. And instead, this is a world where all of us have our innocence taken away. And some trauma is inevitable. I've said it before on the podcast. If a mother gives birth, the mother and the baby both incurred trauma. And um, I, I wish I wish every person felt safe to go see a therapist. I wish every person had the means to go see a therapist. And I, I want all of us, if I can say one thing, you know, first like, subscribe, donate, all of those things. But if I could impart one thing that you would do after you leave this show today, 
is to try with new eyes, try to see through a new lens that when you, when you see a person who um, doesn't behave the way you'd like them to, rather than ask, why did that person do that? Instead, wonder the question, what might have happened to them? And if you'll go through, you know, leave this episode today and go through the rest of your day and this week and, and going forward, if you'll, if you'll take more time to try to sense how hard life is on everybody, how hard this world is, and, and that some folks, all of us to one degree or another, but some folks really seriously take on a lot of trauma. And might you step into this world going forward, trying to reduce that, trying to be more kind to those who have been affected this way? And I think once you understand what happened to them, and, and you should, you know, obviously different kinds of conversations require different levels of trust. But if you ever get the chance to be in a vulnerable conversation with someone and say, what happened to you? What happened to you? And I think that's a question that I will try to ask each of these folks that I interview in these upcoming conversations. And uh, my hope is that as we leave today, that, that you can be kinder to people, more aware of people. And uh, because this life isn't easy and some folks are really dealing with heavy burdens and the things that trigger them are so significant. Um, it's hard to be a human being. And so finishing off today's episode, I, I just, again, I just hope we would be more kind and, uh, I, I can think of all the times in my life that I've dealt with people who were an asshole, really rude, abrasive. But on this side of things, I realized they probably didn't just come out of the womb that way. That they grew up in homes where their parents were shitty. They grew up in homes of abuse. They grew up in homes where the guy down the street in the neighborhood molested them. They... They grew up in a world where their mom and dad didn't do things the way they thought their mom and dad would do things, that their siblings would do things, that their aunt and uncle would do things. And they were traumatized, and it's affected them every day since. And for those of you who are listening who know you have significant trauma and that it affects how you show up, if I could just suggest that you do find a good therapist. Um, I've had bad therapists and good ones, and a good one makes all the difference. And so I hope the, the best for all of you. And I'm excited for what comes in the show in the, in the weeks and months to come. And I hope that this new direction will uh, be entertaining to those who are following along and that we also might put out a product that uh, maybe gravitates have a, has a few more listeners and viewers gravitating towards it. Uh, and so until next time, folks, this is the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm Bill Real.
And thanks so much for joining us today. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.